Welcome to the Juno Report for April 2017. I'm your host, Nolan Crabb. The Juno Report is a service of Guide Dog Users Incorporated. Visit us online at guidedogusersinc.org. Guide Dog Users Incorporated is a proud affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, and this program can be heard on the first Friday of each month via ACB Radio. Following that, it is available as a podcast. Regardless of how you are connecting to us, we're certainly glad you did. Thanks for listening. What happens when misunderstandings arise that lead to situations where you're being asked to leave a public place because you have your dog with you? That's a real-life question that all of us face at some point in our years as handlers, whether we're brand new at it or have been at it a long time. We talk to an advocate who has some real expertise in the area of how to solve those inevitable conflicts before they become truly nightmarish. And if they can't be solved, she has some ideas on how you can press forward in the complaint process, specifically about air travel. I'm speaking tonight with Janine Stanley. She is the Consumer Outreach Coordinator for the Guide Dog Foundation. She has recently represented the Guide Dog Schools and GDUI as part of a committee which was put together by the Department of Transportation, a committee whose purpose was to explore potential regulations to help reduce the number of fake service animals being brought into the nation's airlines. Janine has experienced issues where she has had to advocate for herself in a first-hand way, as have so many of us. And tonight, she talks about how to do it well. Our conversation stems from an experience that Sue Martin had. Sue is a resident of Franklin, Maine, and she and her husband Jim and her guide dog, Quan, were traveling to California on March 1st. They flew without incident from Maine to Reagan National in D.C., At Reagan, they were to connect to another flight to Dallas. This is on American Airlines, by the way. Sue was assigned a bulkhead seat by the American staff member. Oftentimes, bulkhead seats provide a little extra leg room. But in the case of this particular model of airplane, that simply wasn't so. In an effort to get herself situated in the somewhat cramped circumstance, Sue fell, injuring her hip and thereby creating a circumstance in which she requested a different seat. Sue was refused a seat change and ultimately told she had to leave the airplane and talk to a gate agent in the terminal. According to a story in the Press Herald, the ticketing agent refused to change the seating assignment and then refused to allow Sue Martin to upgrade to first class. Martin insisted that, in fact, guide dogs can fly first class. To do otherwise would be to discriminate against travelers who wish to fly in first class with their guide dog. When she reboarded the flight, a passenger in first class offered her his seat. She took the offer and settled in with Quan, her dog. At that point, another American Airlines employee boarded the plane and told Martin she had to leave. He asked to speak with her on the jetway, at which time she was told by the employee that her presence on the plane was not safe. She returned to the plane to gather her belongings, and her husband Jim asked the pilot on their way back out why they were being removed from the flight. According to the story in the Press Herald, the pilot allegedly replied, "'Because I can.'" An American spokesperson told the newspaper that the company takes disability complaints seriously and that its employees were reviewing the situation. And so that's where we find ourselves as tonight's program begins. Since circumstances of this nature are unavoidable, what two things can we do to at least make them less horrible than they might otherwise be? Here are Janine's thoughts. Well, I think probably the most difficult thing 
to do, but the most important thing is stay calm. I realize that, you know, in these conflicts, the, the conflicting party is insulting you, your own self. It feels like an attack. It can feel threatening. It can feel humiliating. And that can trigger some responses in all of us, I think. The second thing you can do is prepare ahead of time by knowing your rights, going into any situation. You know, you can't figure out everything, but to know which law covers what, what your rights are, and who to talk to in that situation, and what kind of evidence can you gather. I hate to have to live our lives that way these days, but, you know, how can you deal with, all right, I'm going out to eat, all right, I may be taking a car, I may be going to a restaurant, I may be doing X, Y, Z, how what do I have to do to prepare for these things? Janine says as part of that preparation, one of the best things you can do, especially if you're a relatively new guide dog user, is to role play the situation. Working for a guide dog school, and I don't want to make fun of anybody at all, but sometimes the, the most amusing calls we get are that first denial incident. Oh my gosh, I, I kept hearing about this, but I never knew it would happen. Well, now it's happened. Okay, great. Now let's pick ourselves up and we'll, we'll move on and, and try to go forward from this but yes playing this out being challenged and figuring out okay how would I like to handle this and being able to do it in a non-threatening environment would be really helpful. Since she brought up working for a guide dog school I asked her perspective as to whether the schools were doing enough in terms of teaching self-advocacy skills. I think it's it it's difficult. I know that the schools are trying very hard and they are doing a lot of advocacy after class and a lot of support after training. And during training, it's it's almost too difficult. There's too much to cram in these days with some of the newer training techniques and experiences. But after class, they are giving a fair amount of support and they're giving it across the board so that someone from any school can get a hold of materials on their websites, etc. They're trying hard could there be more done? There could always be more done by everybody, I think. So staying calm is crucial. Being prepared is equally important. Where do you turn to get the knowledge you need to be prepared? Your first place to go is ADA.gov. And that is going to explain to you everything under the ADA. There are supporting documentation, there are guidance documents there that you can read that are specific to service animals. In fact, if you just do a search on the term service animal, you will get a, a lot of things that come up. And if you have the time, read through them and understand some of the, the case settlements and things like that. You don't have to be a lawyer. You can just read through them and say, oh, all right, well, this is what happened. And this is how the case was settled. Or here is the guidance document. And one really interesting guidance document that came out in late July, I believe it was 2015. And it talked about basically, you know, um, what makes a service animal a service animal beyond the training. And that goes back to the behaviors and some behaviors like, you know, riding in a grocery cart and, and uh, being up on the table or on the chair at a restaurant. You know, those are not, and those are things that our dogs wouldn't do, of course, but those were all things that in reading, you can be calm and help educate and say, look, you know, my here my dog is lying under the table, being perfectly calm, not bothering anyone, etc. So, but ADA.gov is a good place to start. And from there, you look at the other federal law sites. And then there is a site, it is Michigan State University's Animal Law Center. And they have a page that is kept up to date with all of the state laws involving animals of any kind, but particularly service animals. And that, that's that's my go-to place. That's right on my desktop. And it's easier to find, too, because it's in a table form, so you can just skim down the table, and it's quite easy to find and click on the, the particular law or section of the law that you're looking for. So it's a little bit, um, a little bit tighter organization of that site. And... It's definitely updated, um, you know, on a very regular basis with 
uh, annotations to when it's updated and when each of the state laws are updated. And if you click on a particular state law page, it will show you all the iterations of that state law if there are some. So you can, if you are, a, you know, want to go into the history of things, away you go. If you are interested in exploring more at the Michigan State University site, you may visit https colon slash slash animallaw.info. That's all one word, animallaw.info. While we're on the subject of those state laws, are they a patchwork mess, a sort of spaghetti bowl through which we must all wade and trudge or are they a bit more uniform than we might think it is more uniform than it used to be many of the state laws have been updated to mirror the ada some states are a little bit more progressive i guess the the term would be in yeah in allowing different uh, different species of animals under state law and giving some allowance for emotional support animals under state law that's very few states though and other states are attempting to be a little bit more uh, restrictive than the ADA. And I think they're going to find that backfiring on them, I hope, because certainly, you know, state law can't be any more restrictive, meaning you can't ask for identification. You can't ask someone to sign something verifying that their animal is a service animal under state law and have that still be legal. So, you know, some states are trained, and I think we're all frustrated by the issue of fake service dogs. These conflicts don't limit themselves to the airline or the restaurant. Even places like college campuses can be problematic. Oh my goodness, yes. That is probably, you know, and we can always tell start of the fall uh, term, school term, and usually at the start of each term, basically. We get the calls, but we get a lot in the fall regarding advocacy. And and then throughout the year, unfortunately, because emotional support animals are becoming such a huge part of campus, and they're often not cared for well. And the colleges and universities feel as if they really can't do anything, just like everybody else. Oh, gosh, I can't do anything. You know, well, certainly they can. And, you know, um, this is something that if they are going to allow animals to be in these kind of situations that certainly the, the students who have them have every responsibility that we do with our dogs and even more so in some cases because their dogs aren't socialized, etc., etc. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an issue. In confrontational situations, memory can often become faulty and those who are involved in those conflicts may forget that they said something or perhaps may not think they said it at all. How do we guard against situations where a report gets filed that seems to indicate something entirely different from the event as we remember it and as we participated in it? Well, I think the first thing that we have to get into the habit of doing is gathering evidence. And that means because when you're in a situation like this, and there's no right or wrong answer, so if you didn't do this in a confrontational situation, don't worry, but start learning to record everything. Flip on your video on your phone, flip on your your audio recorder on whatever device you have with you if you can. Now, I say this as one of your first lines of defense because it's going to be a he said, she said, I never said that, I never said that. And yes, and so you really want to think about when this starts to happen, all right, I need the evidence. I may never show this to social media. I may never show it to anybody, but the people at, you know, Department of Transportation or whoever I file a complaint with, but I want to have it so that you can see that 
this is actually what took place. Now, beyond that, then uh, what I would recommend is just stop the person right there. If it's in, in the case of an airline, stop. I want to speak to your complaint resolution officer. And as long as that airplane door is still open, you have the right, that plane can't move until you speak to the CRO. A CRO is somewhere in the airport, can be called. It may take a bit for them to get there, but they can be called. And every airline has one at every airport. So let's assume I have insisted that I speak to the complaint resolution officer, the CRO, and the airline representatives say, well, it's going to take us 15 or 20 minutes to find him. The plane is already about to leave and this 15 or 20 minutes will make it late. Do I risk the wrath of all of those passengers? How much is this going to backfire? What do I do under that circumstance? This is really how comfortable you are handling conflict because you have a couple choices here. If you really are sincere to your commitments and everything stand up look at the rest of the plane and say look folks i tried to work this out but they're not being cooperative i'm going to wait for the complaint resolution officer i'm sorry we're going to be late because they're going to have to take me off the plane and you will probably find about half of the passengers will cheer you on and and offer to do things for you the other half will not be happy but that takes a lot of (laughs) a lot of guts to do that in your ideal scenario you'd love to see yourself do that but aside from that your choices become really narrow because at that point the pilot does have the right he is the only person he or she who can overrule you and say off the plane now and you will wait for the complaint resolution officer on the jetway in the terminal wherever you know not on my plane and unfortunately the crew can come to the pilot and say hey this person is being disruptive whether that's true or not and the pilot can say you know what i don't want to have to deal with that nope i'm not diverting for this person once we're in the air so yeah that there is a lot now that said that pilot there are a lot of reports that have to be filed when you kick someone off an aircraft and there has to be an explanation of why the person was ejected from the aircraft and there there are time frames involved with that the dot gets involved so and reports are filed so it's not something they do lightly believe me and they probably should do it more than they do with some folks where gathering evidence is concerned if you have an iphone and you use voiceover the screen reader you can always tell siri to record video at that point an app will open and the record button is just a bit above the home button on your iphone when you tap that the recording begins. Do you mention to the airline personnel that you have activated your recording device, whether it's a Victor Stream or a note taker or your iPhone? And be sure to tell the people, I am recording this. I just want to make sure. Let me make sure I heard what you just said. Did you just say whatever and parrot it back to them? Oh, no, I didn't say that. Oh, good. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. Well, (laughs) even before we get there, I would encourage anybody who has a service animal, who has any kind of of special circumstances, anything, pre-board, ask to pre-board. You have the right to ask for pre-boarding. Do it. It gives you time to get settled, to get if the space is not going to work for your dog, i.e. one of those uh, 
uh, bulkhead seats with the the uh, wall right up against your knees, that's not going to work. And by the way, folks, there is no federal law that says your dog has to sit in the bulkhead seat. We all know that, I think, but somehow that one skipped the airline, <laughs> many of the airlines. So, but pre-boarding gives you a lot of time to work things out. And if you confidently say, oh gosh, you know, bulkhead's going to work for me. Look at this. This is how we can do it. Or, oh, this is not going to work. I'm going to just go sit behind because this is going to work better for me. And look, somebody else gets a bulkhead. They'll be really happy. Even the bigger dogs can fit very well under a lot of seats. Now, the issue is becoming that some of the seats have the entertainment boxes under them. And it's getting much harder, which is, that's a whole other issue that's going to rear its ugly head at some point here. So my recording is going, and I have insisted that I need to meet with the complaint resolution officer, or the CRO. What do I do in that circumstance? What should be my next bit of interaction, if you will? Well, with that individual, you want to be able to explain the situation and what you have tried to do to rectify it. I asked to investigate seats that are available. In the case of Sue Martin, there were certainly seats available in her class. There was also a seat made available in first class for her. And just spell all that out and say, listen, I I just want to go on the trip. Everything is fine. And nine times out of 10, the complaint resolution officer will be on your side. I'm not going to say that everybody, you know, all the CROs are perfect, but certainly, hopefully, they are going to be able to resolve. Now, what can happen, you can run into that time crunch, and they won't be able to get there, and you will be told to wait out in the jetway by the pilot, which you at that point have to do. And at that point, your negotiations with the CRO become all about getting on another plane and making sure that you get your luggage. And there is where you really have to stick up for yourself and say, look, we couldn't get this thing resolved, unfortunately, and I've missed my flight, so you're already, you've already got a problem there, airline person. But now it is your responsibility, CRO, to make sure that I get on another plane and that my luggage finds me where I'm supposed to be. Uh Uh-oh, I'm feeling that credit card in my wallet heat up as if it's going to melt. Can these folks charge me for that plane change? I don't, honestly, I don't know what the exact rules are. They are not supposed to. However, in the moment... And, and and some people just choose, and we had a very similar incident happen to one of our service dog grads at America's Vet Dogs, and uh, this gentleman was coming home from class with a dog that was trained to assist with PTSD, which is just about the worst circumstance you want for one of these incidents. <laughs> and uh, he was escorted off the plane, and he said, okay, I was getting a little, but it was triggering everything, and had I not had the dog, it would have been really horrible. And okay, so that's great. All right. So fantastic. But then it became a negotiation about, all right, well, now how am I going to get home? And he finally said, all right, you know what? Book me a rent a car. I'm driving. I'm not going to get it. And they did. They booked him a rent a car. And, uh, and yeah. And so that was 
you know, not the ultimate outcome. Luckily, he was able to drive home. Not the case for a lot of us. So let's assume I have managed to negotiate my way onto a different plane, perhaps, or solve the problem in some other way. It's now behind me, and my first impulse is to simply say, whew, glad that's over. I'm going to forget that ever happened. Why is forgetting that ever happened a bad idea? Because if it if you forget it ever happened, it never happened. And if we don't tell somebody, and we don't tell somebody official where this kind of statistic will matter, it didn't happen. And a lot of people say, well, I wrote the airline or I talked to the airline, but I'm not getting any satisfaction. And the truth is, you probably won't. So my complaint via email, for example, to an airline probably gets folded into lots of others and gets lost? If you really want things to change, if this really was a very egregious action and you want it to stop, the only thing that you can do is to file a complaint with the Department of Transportation under the Air Carrier Access Act. And those who want to do this online should visit https colon slash slash www.transportation.gov slash air consumer. That's all one word. A-I-R-C-O-N-S-U-M-E-R slash service hyphen animal hyphen guidance. Once you get, and you can even do it on the flight if you're, if you're that together and you have your recording device, but once you get to a safe place and you've kind of let the shock wear off. Sometimes you want to just do a quick recording and say, okay, here is everything I'm going through right now, and here's how I feel, and this is horrible. And then you can go back after the fact and say, all right, let me get the chronology down here. Here's what happened when, and here's who I talked to afterward, and kind of pull it all together, and then walk away from it. You have up to 45 days to file this complaint to allow the Department of Transportation to investigate and to obligate the airline under that investigation to give you a report. They have to give DOT and you a report about the incident. Perhaps you shouldn't be surprised if the report you get back from the airline is significantly different from what you remember. I don't know what trip the people who wrote them were on, but it was clearly a very different one from what the person was on because, wow, I just, you have up to one year if you really are traumatized, and, and some people are. Some people are totally, and why do these things always happen on the weekend, too? And then by Monday, you're thinking, I just want to forget it ever happened. But you have up to a year to send that complaint in to the Department of Transportation to get an investigation from them. Um, the airline is not required to give you anything. Of course, they have to participate in the, the investigation with DOT, but they don't owe you anything. So I tell people, as soon as you can, write it up and get it in. If you have video and audio evidence, DOT will be happy to listen to that. In fact, that has turned around at least one case where the airline report was so egregiously wrong and the audio proved that. And the investigator said, I was so glad I had that audio because I had a feeling that something was wrong, but I couldn't prove it. And yeah, 
So it's very, very important to have that kind of thing to to back yourself up. Janine says that evidence, be it video or audio, is crucial to your complaint because the airlines tend to fear social media. The last thing the airlines want is for your evidence to go viral, as they say, which means being viewed by tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people. But can you actually make that video legally? Can you record someone inside that airplane? I I am not a lawyer, so I cannot tell you, but this is a public space. You are allowed to use your video camera on the airplane. You are allowed to take pictures on the airplane, and you are allowed to record audio on an airplane. That was not so immediately after 9-11, but it is now as long as you're not taking pictures in certain parts of the plane. But if they say, well, you can't videotape me. You don't have my permission. I don't need your permission. All I have to do is identify. Yep. If you really are are nervous about that, check the laws in your state. Maybe someone from the lawyer's group in ACB can talk to us about that, but this is a public place. Anybody can pull out their video camera, and I've, I've informed you that I'm recording this. But how do I file a formal complaint? Is it a form that I can complete online, or do I actually have to craft it as an email? What is the process with the Department of Transportation? Yeah, there is a leave. I'm trying to remember if there is a form or an address. You write up your complaint in the form of, it's not like the new ADA complaint form, which is online, which is in fact a form for the ADA. This one is actually just gives you the address and a person to whom you write the letter, an office actually to whom you write your complaint in the form of a letter slash email. You can send an email, absolutely, yep. Yeah, which is a very good thing. And what I advise is to let them know that you do have audio available. Put the links in there if you can, because a lot of government offices will not. They'll strip attachments. So I'm glad you mentioned the attachments. So yeah. So I've filed my complaint and I've provided all the evidence. All of a sudden, I'm hearing the loud ka-ching, ka-ching of easy money. And yet something tells me this complaint process isn't going to result in me cashing in on the big bucks, right? Nope. In fact, you will, I believe, and someone will correct me, I'm sure if I'm wrong, but the remunerations under the Air Carrier Access Act, all you can get is $2,500. There's a cap on it for damages for individuals. Now, the airline can get fined a whole lot more than that by the DOT, and they have been. And I expect they will be in some of these cases that we're hearing about. So if I'm involved in an incident like this, my first impulse might be to shrug it off and say, well, since the recent presidential election and the installation of new people at the Department of Transportation, nobody's going to care. I don't know why I bother. Is it wrong to just shrug this off and assume that nobody will care, that nothing will get done? Absolutely, because the same people are still on the ground at the complaint level, they don't leave. It's their deputy directors and whatnot. And and the, honestly, the deputy directors are the people that you want to educate. And you want to get into their offices and say, hey, can we have a meeting before things become crises to say, can we talk about what this act means to us? and why we're concerned about our civil rights and why we're concerned about the safety issues that face people with service animals in flying. And it's not just safety from other fake service animals, although that's a huge one, but safety from these kinds of violations where the airlines are really choosing to not pay attention to what what the laws have been for many years 
uh, knee-jerk reactions to fake service animals, which a lot of these incidents are, honestly, and poor training of their staff. And explain how that affects us. And don't leave out how it really does make people nervous about traveling. And I would say don't assume that everybody in the new administration is heartless and whatever. Do not assume that. If you're the person to educate somebody and get them out of an outdated stereotype, great. Uh, Do it. Do it. Any last minute advice before we close the program? Well, I, I would tell people when you are planning a trip, don't be afraid to fly. Don't buy into the hype. Don't buy into the fear. Walk in there just like every other person in that airport. I have the right to be here. I have all of my procedures down. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know how I'm supposed to go through security. This is my service animal. If you want to show your school ID, that's your choice. It's not something that's required. You don't even have to require, you know, we don't require notifying the airline right now. That's right now. That's something that may come in the future, but we don't know. For now, you don't even have to do that. It's my feeling that since it's a closed environment, I tend to do it because I want no surprises. I just, I like to walk in and say, all right, you knew I was coming. Don't give me this look of shock and horror, you know. (laughs) Just, Just walk in and don't be afraid to travel. Yeah, you may have a conflict, but as as it goes in self-defense, if you look confident and you you really feel like you know what you're doing, you're prepared, okay, I got this, no problem. Nine times out of ten, things work themselves out. And that optimistic note brings us to the conclusion of our program. I've been speaking with Janine Stanley, Consumer Relations Coordinator for the Guide Dog Foundation and Vet Dogs of America. I'm grateful to her for taking the time out on a really busy and uh, perhaps hair-raising Saturday in her life to spend a few minutes with me and make this interview possible. We will be back next month with another edition of the Juno Report. Until then, I'm Nolan Crabb on behalf of Guide Dog Users Incorporated saying enjoy the month and we'll do it again in May.